0: Hey, if you have a Bible with you, turn uh, to John chapter seventeen. Uh, we're going to jump into this series. Uh, I don't have control just yet. Uh, and verses one through five is where we're going to be today in John chapter seventeen. Um, for for chapter seventeen, uh, I could you know we could we could live here. We really really could. Um, we're going to be here more than one week. Probably at least maybe three weeks. I'll do my best to get us out of chapter seventeen in three weeks. But it's just oh so good, and so um, it's a monumental chapter. It's like a it's like a rising mountain peak coming up in the New Testament. Uh, some of us know what that's like. Depends where you've grown up. If you're from Kansas, forget it. You don't know what what I'm talking about, right? Uh, if you've uh, if you're from Poto, you think Poto Hill is a mountain. Listen. God loves you, you know, uh, you know, what, what's that church line that people say? Um, uh, oh, bless your heart. That's it. That's what it is. Bless your heart. All right, because that's not a mountain peak, right? And then you go out west and you, you see certain things out there and you go, that is a mountain peak. And you can see it from afar far away. And you can see it emerging. And you think, wow, we'll be there in no time. But then you realize there's a lot of land between you and that place. And, and so if you've ever journeyed to something like that, to me, John 17 is that sort of idea. The words are plain, but they're also majestic. Uh, they are simple, as you know what he's saying, But you're mysterious, they're yet mysterious because you don't understand yet what he's saying. Uh, It shows the intricacies, if you will, of the Trinity, Um, the nuance. There's this idea for those who have more of a cat theology instead of a dog theology, that, you know, God made us because he was lonely and he needed us. And so we're the sunflowers of his field. It was the Father, the the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're the three persons in one Godhead. The they God made us for His own glory and to share His glory with us. Thank you, kid, who recorded "Amen." I have an "Amen" button when I need it, right? And so here's the point: this is something we are invited into. Uh, we see this this entrance, this neat. Uh, Intimacy that existed between Him and the Father. And also, it stretches across the full view of redemptive history. I mean, uh, Jesus, uh, you think you've understood Him. And then you get to 17 and you're like, what? And as you read it, you're just like, what just happened here? Like, what, what is He talking about? And you start realizing he, he reaches back. And so when I've said things like, He is the eternal God, the Son made flesh. You start to realize that when we, when we read verse 5. You go, that's where he's getting some of his thoughts. And, and you're going to go, does Lee understand everything about this? No, I don't. Um, this, uh, I think it's A.W. Tozer who said, where there is uh, uh, simplicity and clarity, let there be no confusion. But where there's mystery, let mystery abound. Uh, the way one other guy, C.S. Lewis, said it this way, a God that's understood is no God at all, And a God that's small enough to understand is not big enough to be praised. So am I going to understand every nuance of this? No, I'm not. But the Scriptures definitely help us understand what we need to catch. And there are uh, several things here. So let's read the text. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Yeah. Feel that out of verse 5. This is an interesting chapter. It's really divided. That's why I said three weeks. There's three easy portions, alright? The first one is himself. Alright, so verses 1-5, through five, he, his prayer is going to regard himself. Then you're going to see later on in the next week, he'll start praying for his disciples. He'll look into those guys that have been following him and the people that are attached to those dudes who are following all of them, right? And then you're going to get to the last part of the chapter. And this is another moment, like for verse 5 is for me, there's another moment later in the chapter where it's just like, boom, you'll start to realize he prays for the church. Let me just say it this way. He prayed thinking of you. So this prayer is awesome. And not only, how far did he go back to the, to the left side of this deal? To the Old Testament? Oh, I don't know. Before creation. Right? So we've, we've come there. And then what's he looking forward through at the end of this prayer we're going to find? He's looking to you and to me and all the people who are coming even after us who will come to the knowledge and faith of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So the focal point of this prayer, though, you have to know, is the cross. It's the centerpiece. Uh, the Apostle Paul would, would, would never get over this either as he spends time in, in with the Lord, and, and the Lord is using him to write. He's saying, listen, I'm only going to boast in this. Nothing of my own ability. I'm only going to boast in the cross. He even says, everything that I have done that I could lay before you, that you would go, wow, that's impressive. He says, I consider it rubbish. Literally, dung in the Greek there. So that I might gain Christ. And then I might know, and this is where you're going, if you've ever prayed with someone who's spiritually mature, but you're maturing. I'm not going to say you're immature. You're just maturing. And you're praying with them, and they're going there. And when I'm praying with you, it's kind of like singing a song on the radio. I'll sing the lyrics. I hear you sing for a minute. And then when we get to the chorus, uh, the one line I know, I sing it. But then the rest of the time, I'm just following the words. That's how I pray in agreement with somebody. So I'm praying with you, and I'm like imagining myself praying with the Apostle Paul, that I might know you. Yes, yeah, Paul, that's right. And that I might know the fellowship of your sufferings. Oh, Paul, I don't know if I want to go there, right? Like, that was Paul, God, that wasn't me. All right. If we need to know this. right? So there's this moment when you follow in prayer that you see this. And, and Jesus has just laid out in John chapter 13 to John chapter 16 this upper room discourse that we took quite some time to go through. And He's been talking to them as a man who knows He's about to go to the cross. And you remember He washed their feet. He, he's telling them you know, that they need to do this kind of love for each other. They need to be vulnerable with each other. Um, We went through all of those things. And then now he's saying, hey, let's let us go. It's time to go. But then they still talk some more. And then this is the conclusion of that. John is recalling for us in chapter 17 that this is now where Jesus looks up and lifts up his eyes and he prays. Now the Bible is filled with great prayers. Um, These aren't on the PowerPoint, but you could go to 1 Kings chapter 8 and you could read about Solomon's prayer. That's a pretty big prayer. You could go to Genesis chapter 18 and you could read Abraham's prayer. All right, that would be a pretty big spot. You could go to Exodus 32 and you could read about Moses' prayer. But this prayer right here, I would say is the greatest. It's the one that we look at and we hear Jesus praying and, and it's not just the short prayer of Father, glorify Your name. He is praying in depth for several things for us to know. And most of us, we know what it's like for us to pray with someone that we deeply respect. Uh, for me, I, I love to pray with Miss Frances. Uh, I, I, I like hearing her. I like to pray with, with Mark Horn. I like to sit there and, and do that. I like to hear people who I've known for years who hear their prayers. I, I hear uh, When I hear Lynn pray for somebody, all of a sudden I realize, as I'm listening to her pray, all the practical things that probably need to be done for the person to help them get through it. That's where her brain kind of goes. All right? I, I, I've, I've learned to understand, to listen to other people pray that, that have this gift of faith and, and, and discernment and knowledge. And so when you pray with believers that, that really have their heart focused on something, it's, it's changing you to hear that prayer. That's how I want you to read chapter 17. You're praying and hearing the prayer of Jesus right here before you. And here's the thing. Genuine prayer often reveals a person's innermost being. Can I just say this? It is important that we hear each other's prayers out loud. Amen, brother. So often... We have church people go to a meeting and then they go, hey, let's all pray together. And here's what they all do. And then people will say, I don't like to pray out loud. And hear me. I want to equip you today not to confront you. The reason why we need to hear you pray out loud is because that's how we know the real soul of who you are. I heard my dad only pray one time out loud. And we were uh, in the hospital room, gathered around Sarah. Uh, she was at a reasonably not crazy moment of delivery. And, uh, and we, we gathered around for prayer real quick and we all held hands. And, and I remember coming around to my dad and I'm like, oh man, I don't want my dad to feel weird in this moment. He's not yet prayed out loud. And the first time I heard him pray, he just said, Lord, we just pray that this baby will come out healthy and that you'll take care of Sarah. Man, I just I felt a connection with him that I had never connected to, because I saw the innermost part of his heart. And why am I telling you that? Because he's probably the blue-collar of blue-collar workers. And I'm telling you that it's okay to pray out loud. It's okay to fumble in prayer. You might hear people that have eloquent prayers. Listen, I've prayed with enough people to realize I can tell when they have kind of like recorded prayers that's on cue. All right, It gets, gets, gets a little obvious, right? But listen, it's okay to be honest and vulnerable and, and, and not filled with knowledge. And listen, you don't need to repeat yourself. You don't need to be like the the parent trap, uh, not parent trap, uh, Oh, Meet the Fockers, I guess, is the movie when, uh, the Ben Stiller's praying, and he's like, day by day by day by day. Listen, we don't need to repeat ourselves as the, Jesus says in the Gospels like the Gentiles do, but we need to hear each other pray. It is important. You know why? Jesus even leads by example. Why does he pray? He prays for our benefit. He prays so that he could depend on God the Father and understand that. And how are we going to follow the Lord the same way? And so, as we understand this, many of the same concerns uh, uh, that were commonly called the Lord's Prayer we see are actually in this prayer, all right? In Matthew chapter 6. Verses 9 through 13, there's that classic verse, especially if you come from a more liturgical background to forefront church where you prayed the Lord's Prayer often. We see in this prayer, just like in the Lord's Prayer, it's repeatedly directed to God the Father. So that's why most of the time you'll hear people say, hey, you know, Heavenly Father or God, Father God, Daddy, right? Why are we? Because the Lord taught us to pray that way. There's a recognition of. And a concern for God's name that's in both of these prayers. There's a concern for the work of the kingdom of God in both of those prayers. And there's a concern for keeping from evil. A concern for keeping from evil. You know the one thing that's not in the Lord's Prayer that's in the prayer that the Lord prays in John 17? The forgiveness of debts. Because Jesus had no sin. He didn't have to pray for any forgiveness. In fact, He's there to make a way for you and I to have forgiveness. But there's something different that as Jesus is praying this, um, one guy, uh, Trench, writes this, the request of our Lord, thus given in John 17th chapter, is clearly no prayer of inferior to a superior. Constantly there is seen in it, in, in it, the equality or co-equality of the speaker with the Father. The two have but one mind. Where the Son speaks, He is not seeking to bend the Father to Him. Rather, He is voicing the purpose of the Godhead. And the New Testament tells us that not only does Jesus pray in John 17, and as He starts out these verses, you need to know the New Testament tells us that Jesus has an ongoing, present work, of intercession for His people. Um, In fact, these are worth underlining in your Bible. You won't go to hell for writing in your Bible. It's a workbook. And so if you were to Romans 8.34, let me read it to you. He says, um, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. You could turn even more to the right in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Can I just say it this way? When I was a teenager, my youth pastor would make these prayer cards and it would have my name and all these other students would have just one name on the card so you had a card, and, and we had like 250 kids or so in our youth group, and we would have, he would have four easy prayers that he would ask the church to pray for that teenager. And the idea was we were going to cover every teenager in our church in prayer, and you were going to commit to pray for one teenager for the entire year. Well, he would do this on a Sunday night because you've... Uh, You've vetted everyone down at that point, right? There's no pew perchers there on a Sunday night. Like, these are the frozen chosen that show up to this meeting. And so he would divvy those cards to that group because he knew they would be faithful to pray. I'll never forget one day, I'm in the hallway at the church and this frail old lady walks up to me and she says, are you Lee Kemp? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she said, well, my name is Miss Betty and I just want you to know I have been praying for you every day for the last two years. Guys, it stunned me. As a teenager, I was like, this woman is not lying. Like she has gone out of her way to meet me. And when she says she has prayed for me for the last two years, I'm going to tell you something. it, It emboldened me to realize that I should get out and I should be seeking the kingdom of God on my school campus because I've got, I've got her. But then when I found out Romans 8, I had at least two people. I had Miss Betty and Jesus. And I think so often you just feel like, man, I'm just out here. God just doesn't even know I'm out here. I'm about, man, I'm about to get ran over. Where is God? You know where God is? Praying for you interceding for you. That's powerful, people. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he indicates this physical posture as Jesus prayed in accordance to his times and he opens his eyes. Have you ever thought about this for a second? You don't pray that way probably, do you? I mean, most of us don't. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he prayed all these words in John 17. But I'm going to tell you something about intimate prayer moments. Because I think some of us need to bust up the modes of how you pray. Uh, Some of you need to know, if you're uncomfortable praying out loud, this is super practical, get by yourself, and when you pray to the Lord, stop praying quietly. Get by yourself and pray out loud with the Lord in private, and then you'll feel more comfortable praying with believers out loud as well later on. That's super practical. So if you don't pray out loud, you don't feel comfortable, then when you're by yourself with God, pray out loud and do this. But I'm going to tell you something else. The most intimate prayer moments I've had have been late at night for me. Just late at night. My wife is in bed. This mic is really frustrating me today and I don't know what it is. Jeff Thompson keeps messing it up. I'm going to have to get on to him. Late at night, everyone's in bed. Sarah was pooped and decided not to hang out with me. And there's moments where I know I need to talk to the Lord, and I, I either imagine myself sitting in front of the Lord, and I look at a chair, and I sit there and I talk just like He is right there. Or, I drive my car, and I'm praying, and I imagine the Lord Himself is doing it. Listen, before every big meeting I'm about to go to, any... Big thing that I have to do that I go, man, I wish God's help was with me. You better believe the radio is off, the car is driving, Lee's eyes are open, and I am talking to Jesus like he is in the shotgun, ready to go to the meeting with me. And we're just having a conversation. And that's a moment where I talk and I get quiet and I talk and I get quiet. And I'm going to tell you, man, powerful, intimate moments of his presence. And the still small voice has been discerned with open eyes, out loud prayers. And I'm just laying it before you because some of you, this would be like so weird for you to try to do. And I'm just telling you, do not be scared of this. This is a prayer, by the way, as we look into the actual context of his prayer. A prayer of confidence. This is not Jesus getting tired of all of mankind. This is not him being fed up so he's going to pray, but this is him literally praying a prayer of faith and confidence, even victory, even though there's still conflict to be played out. He says, the Father, the hour has come. Jesus is always conscious of what it was unfolding in redemption, and he grasped The fullness of every moment. When you read these Gospels, do you not see that? Like, Jesus is keenly aware every time I read these Gospels of what is going on around Him and what is about to happen ahead of Him. Why is that important? Because can I just tell you, Jesus lives, Christ Jesus lives today, and that hasn't changed. If He was that way on earth, He's that way in glory. And some of you are wondering, you're like, man, I just, I just wish God knew what I'm going through. Hello, He does. There's not a surprise here. And so if we understand this, these intimate moments in this hour of prayer, what's He saying? 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. You know what the hour had come for? The hour had come to make way for you and I to have a way to come back home. To be at peace and right with Him. The Maker of all things. He says the hour has come. Glorify your Son. You need to know that um, not only pagan culture feels this way, probably lots of people even in our time feel this way. But the cross was a sort of thing of shame. It wasn't really a thing of victory, right? As Christians, we have a special attachment to the cross because we realize there was no other way to be made right with God but through the work of Christ on the cross. But the cross is really foolishness to the world. But the thing is, the cross is like utter humiliation to the world, but it is an instrument of glorification in God's eyes. Let me just say it the way, by reading the way the Apostle Paul writes this in First Corinthians, chapter one, he says this, beginning in verse eighteen: "For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." He goes on and he adds this in twenty three. He says, "But we preach Christ crucified." a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Yes, my Savior may look like a victim, but He was a volunteer. He may look like a defeated king, but he's actually indeed the king of kings. He may not look like he's in charge, but the reality is he is a Lord of lords. He is coming again. He is going to make all things right. And yes, he came as a spotless lamb of God. In the end, he comes as a consuming fire. The way Hebrews would say, it's a dreadful thing to fall into this hands of this holy God. Who is set apart? And you go, man, sounds like you're really all about condemnation. No, Jesus came so you wouldn't experience that, but you would experience the joy of His return. He didn't come to condemn anybody. He came that the world through Him might be saved. John 3, 17. It's our message to proclaim that message. And how different are our prayers than the way Jesus prays? The hour has come. Glorify Your Son. What would we have done One guy writes about this, Myers. He says, In one form or another, we constantly asking the Father to glorify us. Glorify me, O Father, we cry, by giving me the largest congregation in the town, by commencing a great revival in my mission, by increasing my spiritual power so that I shall be greatly sought after. Of course, we do not state our reason quite so concisely, but this is really what we mean. And then we wonder why the answer tarries. In other words, if God answered all of your prayers that you pray, how different would the world really be? We pray for things that if God answered all our prayers, there's still so much suffering and brokenness that would still exist because these things would be answered. It's a challenge for me to think about God show us your glory reveal to us God move in and I don't know if you can relate but I just my prayers often are, are are self-focused they're not focused on him and then we wonder why the answer isn't always there and he says he says do this so that I may glorify you can I just say it this way as you look at John 17 especially these first five verses Christ's motive should be yours as well. Christ's motives should be yours as well. And you're like, yeah, book and chapter. Oh, glad you asked. Philippians chapter 2. I think it says it really, really plainly. Probably one of my favorite books in the New Testament that I learned to preach on when I first get it started. Listen to this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You go, man, those are a lot of verses there. Why would you read those verses? But you know what the NIV says? Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And what is the motive? God, give me your favor so that I can point people back to you. And guys, I just want you to hear me today. God doesn't want to steal your joy in life. He doesn't want you to not have fun. He doesn't want you to take on great feats of strength or tenacity. He wants you to experience those things so that you would also be drawn back to Him as the one who's given you the gift of those things. And so these are important things for us to catch. He says, you have given uh, me authority over all flesh to give eternal life. This is why when we pray to, to come to know the Lord, we, we come and we pray in the name of Jesus because Jesus has been given the gift to, of eternal life to give to those who will turn and trust Him. This is why when we pray, we're asking, Lord, you to move into my life and to change my heart because I need you. Because left to myself, I will live and seek only myself and my agenda. And it will lead to more and more brokenness. But when I turn and I trust and I say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, do this. This is why, because he says, and this is eternal life, that they would know you and that I would be the one that gives this to them. Thank you for that, Lord. He says, I'll give them eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life, I would suggest to you, is not a quantity of life, but a kind of life, a quality of existence. It's not the fact that when Jesus talks about giving you eternal life of the idea that your soul would never perish. Yes, it is that. But it is so much more than that. In John chapter 10, he says, I have come to give them an abundant life. What is he speaking about? He's speaking about a a quality of life that you and I would have. The way uh, Tenney comments on this, he says this, life is active involvement with environment. Death is the cessation of involvement with the environment, whether it be physical or personal. Eternal life, he adds, means that we are alive and active to God's environment. Let me just submit it to you this way. If God in His spiritual environment does not affect or even dominate your life, then it could be said that we do not have or experience eternal life. I guess what I'm trying to tell you is this. Religion works on you from the outside in. Faith in Jesus works on you from the inside out. But if you're not feeling any of this, you haven't connected in yet. And you, haven't, you haven't seen the way that the Lord wants you to see this. You haven't moved into the the truth that He's prayed for you that you would know. He says that they may know the The knowledge, have a growing experience. That's what that indicates. That that they would not only come to know, but they would get to know God. When I came to know the Lord, there was no ceiling splitting moment, audible voice from glory, fog coming in the room. There was none of that. But it was every bit of me realizing, I need to ask Him into my life so that I can have life. Like I'm a dead man walking. And so there's this idea that he says it's finished. And if, to me, which is interesting, because he says, I've glorified you on earth, I've done the work you've told me to do, yet he really hasn't even gone to the cross yet. How, how has he done the work the Father's told me to do, but he hasn't done the cross yet? And there's a there's sense. That the work is not finished, yet he didn't wait till his work on the cross was there to glorify God. His life was a demonstration of living a life to glorify God. And guess what we're called to be? Christ-like. And he goes on, and to me, since Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13:8 says. There is a greater sense in which his work is already finished, completed in the heart and the mind of God, even though it has not yet been done. And this is what I want you to catch. There is, when you follow God, an already but not yet. An already but not yet. He already has given us everything We need to follow him and the victory is ours and redemption is complete. Yet we know because we're still here and we're still within our fallen brokenness that it has not yet fully happened. But God speaks with finality and knowing that things are finished even before they're done because he knows they will be. And that is meant to equip us to endure. That's meant to push you to not give up. Throughout this, there's this careful speech in the Gospel of John where in many ways John records Jesus referring to His own glory throughout the text. And I don't want to go there and show those for you today. But I guess when I come to these sort of passages, if you're a believer and I come to this text, I, I, I call us back to when we see... If Jesus lives a life to glorify God, even as He leads to the, to, the, to, to the ending of His destination, which is the cross, how much more should we be enduring to glorify God? If Jesus is praying out loud for other people like us to benefit from hearing and reading His prayers, how often should we be praying out loud for the benefit of other people? If Jesus trusted God's finished plan that he has proclaimed before the foundation of the world in Revelation 13.8, that the, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. How much more should we trust that God's plan is going to happen the way God has promised it will? Yet we find believers that live this life like we get tossed with the leash by the world. Everybody gets worried about politics. So what's the church do so often? We get leashed up to politics. Why? All well, the economics and stuff and all that discussion gets tossed out in the world on media, and we get leashed up, and here we go taking a walk with them. Why? Because, oh, you know, we're, we're, God's not you know, going to provide for us anymore? Come on, man. We, don't, we fret about evil that exists in the world, and we get leashed up, and we go, oh, here we go, we're going for this walk because, man, there's all this evil that's going on. And the scripture says, do not fret over these things. You're going, man, you just sound like believers are supposed to live a naive life. No, I believe we're supposed to live a life that looks like we trust God. Not man. Man doesn't know what's going to happen. They can't predict it. But the Lord is sovereign. He is good. He has always looked over his people. He has always provided what they need. And I just say this no soldier gets caught in the civilian affairs. They have a task on hand. We don't get caught in stupid and foolish arguments of the world because, indeed, they are vanity. They are a vapor, they're a mist. They're Hevel, here today, gone tomorrow. You know what we will be talking about 100 years from now? The Lord Jesus. My question really now is this. Has there been a moment in your life where you have stopped and asked the Lord Jesus to be your personal Savior and Lord? Has there been a time in your life where you moved not just from knowing facts about God, but wanting to know God in relationship just like you know all the people that are closest to you? Was there a a point where you've done that? Because here's the point of what Jesus is doing. He is praying that everyone would come back to knowing their Creator. And my question is, He's prayed for you. Has there been a moment in your life where you have stopped and said, Lord, I'm not going to try to live my life with my strength, my power, doing it my way. I want to glorify you. I want to know you. And I want to experience your love, your redemption, your mercy and your grace in me. And whatever you have, I'm turning and trusting you because I have nothing. Listen, there is no other way to start a path towards what God has for you without coming through Jesus. You have to look to Jesus. There is no other way for you to get to what God has for you until you, you follow that one. So if you're here today and you haven't done that, then man, what's holding you up? What, what is there that could stand between you and the greatest love relationship that awaits for you? I can tell you whatever it is, it's not big enough. It's not good enough. What will it profit me if Lee Kemp would gain the whole world, everything I ever wanted to do, and then lose my own soul? I pray that you will turn to Christ. Let's pray. Father, it blows my mind that Jesus, you had this relationship of complete dependence upon the Father. And if that's what you needed to make it to the cross, what do we need to make it through what we're going to make it through? God, I pray that we would slow down and read this chapter and and dwell in the truth that we are not to be cowardice people of God, but you have adopted us into your family. You have sealed us with the promise of redemption. You have set us aside with gifts and talents and abilities to go and do a good work in the lives of the world that desperately needs it. But Lord, I pray that we would feel sent, just like you were sent, we would feel sent to do those things with you, not for you, with you, Lord. I pray that we will realize that the greatest adventures of life lay ahead of us but we'll have to be guarded in prayer. So Lord, if we have a prayerless spirit in us today, forgive us. We love You. We need You. So Lord, I pray that there's someone here that it's been a while since they've done that, that they could just take this time today and pray with You. Real, honest, good prayer. Pray that they would be able to set aside some time and have that. But if there are people, Lord, sitting here like a deer in headlights, just wondering what they're meant to do because they've never turned and trusted You, Lord, I pray that in this moment, right where they sit, in this moment, if you're here and you say, I need to know the Lord, what do I do? Then you just pray something like this. Lord, thank You for loving me when I've been unlovable. And the best I know how, Lord, I want to turn and I want to trust you. I want to follow you. I want to know you. Just like I know every other person that I care about, Lord. I want to know you because I care about you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin and be the leader in my life. God, I'm tired. I'm tired of doing it my way. I want your way. You call the shots in Jesus' name. And then you just say, Amen. Father, If there's someone that needs to do work with you in open, honest confession, I pray they will do it. There's someone here that has not trusted you yet. I pray they would fall into grace today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.